Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. This is not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. All right, let's do it. It's Thursday, maybe Friday, depending on when you're listening to this. Let's take a second to close this week with an appreciation. There is somebody very close to us who deserves to be recognized and deserves to be appreciated for excellence in the field of professional wrestling for rising to the occasion time in and time out whether that's a phrase or not each and every time this gentleman is called upon I think it's very very important nay nay I think it is crucial I think that right now We must show appreciation for how good Randall K. Orton is at this pro wrestling thing. I mean, this Randy Orton, after all the years that he has been doing this, and let's talk about this, okay? How many people, how many people are able to maintain a character that really, while he goes through waves and ebbs and flows, if you look at Randy Orton, he's still the dude that we call the Viper with those same trunks on, going by the same name, with the same move, and he has been doing this literally since evolution was a faction. He has been doing this since Ric Flair was still wrestling. He has been doing this since before Batista retired and then came back and then retired again and is now going into the Hall of Fame. Randy Orton still stands strong. And he's still able to take us on these rides where we actually care. And while sure, he's, he's slipped away for pockets of time here and there, he's never been gone for an extended period of time. He's never disappeared for years only to come back and everybody goes, I remember. I remember. He has been there the entire time. It is much more difficult to accomplish what Randy Orton has accomplished without giving the fans years to miss you. He isn't even an ounce of a nostalgia act. This is a guy who is able to get fans interested in what he is doing based on what he is doing today, not based on anything 
he has ever done in his past, and it is remarkable to see. In 2020, in the end of 2019, I would say that it would have, I would have said that it would have been very difficult to convince me that a good guy, Randy Orton, was going to be something I cared about. When Randy Orton got drafted to Raw in October, I was like, really? I thought, foolish as I was, that Randy Orton was kind of just getting to this place where he had accomplished everything he needed to accomplish in his career. And he could go out there and when needed, still have a good match, put a young guy over, and enter that phase of Randy Orton. And that phase is very important. And I don't disrespect anybody that gets into that phase, but that phase is not necessarily the active storyteller phase. That phase is not the phase of who knows where this career is going. That phase is we know where this career has gone. Now let's do some cool stuff to put a bow on it. Randy Orton is not putting a bow on it. Randy Orton is still going. I didn't think anybody, including myself, would care about Randy Orton being a good guy on Monday Night Raw. He gets drafted, and the character starts to change, and he's a good guy all of a sudden. And what was even more all of a sudden was the fact that I looked at that man's face on my television set, and I cared about what he was saying, and I cared about what he was doing. And I said, damn you, Randy Orton, you got me again. After all the years of all the dirty, underhanded things that you've done, I believe in you, Randy Orton. You got me again. He goes this year into the Royal Rumble. We talked about it a little bit on Monday. He's face-to-face with Edge. And I'll tell you this, when Rated RKO started working together again, I was excited about it. I was pumped for it. I was here for it. The little moment when Randy is in his Viper position behind Edge, ready to RKO him, and Edge turns around like, dude, and Randy Orton gives him that look like, hey, buddy, what do you want from me? I'm sorry. He was basically giving him the old uh, scorpion and the frog look where Edge was the frog that was carrying the scorpion on his back. And the scorpion stung the frog. You could tell the story with a snake as well. But the scorpion stung the frog when they got to the other side. The frog said, why'd you do that? He said, because I'm a scorpion. That's what I do. Randy Orton gave Edge this look. He said, I'm a viper. It's what I do. Edge feigned forgiveness only to eliminate Randall by throwing him over the top rope and onto the floor. Edge would go on not to win the Royal Rumble, but we would turn on Raw not 24 hours removed with the excitement building all night. That tonight we were going to hear Edge's words into a microphone. Now we should also take a moment to talk about how good Edge is. If you are somebody that is a young professional wrestler or that cares at all about the art of storytelling in wrestling, pay attention to Edge. 
because Edge's story had already been told before his mouth hit a microphone. And that's not a compliment to the wonderful broadcast team at the WWE. That is a compliment to everything that exists on Edge between his hairline and his chin. All over his face. When Edge walked into the Royal Rumble and he looked around, Edge hadn't wrestled in nine years, okay? Look into the audience of the WWE. Kids are everywhere. Even adults that are in there, people in their 20s, they weren't watching nine years ago. There were thousands and thousands of people that were watching the Royal Rumble on Sunday night that were not watching wrestling when Edge was wrestling, that did not quite understand why when the immortal words of you think you know me echoed through Minute Maid Park, that that crowd gave him the ovation of a lifetime. Who is this guy? But when Edge walked through the fog and he looked around and you saw that look on his face, that said, oh my God, after nine years, after being told I would never wrestle again, after telling the world I would never wrestle again, I can't believe that I'm here and that everybody still remembers. I can't believe that they all still care. And I can't wait to show all these people what I am capable of doing in 2020. All of it was said on his face before he even got to the ring. Once he was in the ring and you saw the shape that he was in, you saw his face throughout the entire match. You knew who this guy was and the mission that he was on. Edge told the total story. If you had had no commentary throughout the match at all, you would still know Edge's entire story watching that because of Edge's performance. And you would understand the friendship and the tension between Randy Orton and Edge because of the way they worked together in that match. It was a thing of pro wrestling beauty. So when Edge comes out on Raw and the WWE does this wonderful, wonderful job of building and building and building throughout the night, airing clips of Edge, Edge moments, the reaction from last night, the reaction from the Royal Rumble, you know, over a decade before when he returned, the reaction from Edge uh, cashing in, becoming the ultimate opportunist in 2006 and cashing in his money in the bank and beating John Cena, I believe in the middle of the first decade of the 2000s, Edge is the number one heel. And it's because of that moment and everything that happened after that moment. So we now have this clear-cut picture of who Edge is, and Edge comes out, and everything that he is saying on Raw on Monday is backed up by his face, by his body language, by his emotions, there is not an ounce of inauthenticity that comes off of this guy. You believe everything this guy is saying. All of a sudden, a song comes on about a man whose voices in his head 
counsel him and understand and talk to him. Randy Orton comes out and because of the expressions on the faces and the words that are said, you feel like you're seeing something special. You're feeling like even though Edge eliminated Randy Orton at the Royal Rumble, and even though Edge sensed that Randy Orton was going to RKO him at the Royal Rumble, there is this appreciation between these two veterans that have lived entirely different decades. Edge, who over the last nine years has been at home, becoming a family man, living a world, living a life outside of the world of wrestling. And Randy Orton, who never left and spent those 10 years building and building and building a legacy in the WWE that won't fully be appreciated until he's gone. There was a there was a camaraderie, there was a familiarity, there was a friendship in the faces of Edge and Randy Orton that made it hurt that much more when whoom that RKO came out of nowhere. And you might have known, of course, Randy Orton's going to turn on Edge. Of course, we're leading to a Randy Orton Edge match. And you might be saying, Sam, you know that they were leading to a Randy Orton Edge match. If you listen to your podcast that you taped immediately after the Royal Rumble, even when people were emailing you saying, it's going to be, is it going to be Edge and AJ Styles? You said two hours after the Royal Rumble match was over, clearly we're heading towards a Randy Orton Edge match. And I understand that. And you can know that that is probably where things are going without knowing where, how we're getting there. You can know the destination without printing out the map quest directions for it, okay? You don't have to look down at your GPS screen. You can trust the driver and just look out the window and watch the ride and go, oh, I didn't expect to pass this. That's what we got on Raw. And the body language of Edge. First of all, to have Randy Orton who has made us believe in him. Randy Orton turned babyface good guy. And the crowd believed him. The crowd was behind him. To have that man come out on Monday Night Raw and crush Edge's skull. We just spent three hours of a TV program explaining to everybody that didn't know that Edge went away because of his neck and spine. Edge came out. And said, he got a second neck surgery. Well, welcome back. I'm going to crush your head and neck with a steel chair. Hope you're good. The legend killer who became a legend is still killing legends. The legend killer realized that superstars from his generation are the ones that had become legends. And that doesn't mean that he's above destroying them. I mean, talk about a fine how do you do. That's Edge's, aside from the Royal Rumble, first physicality on Monday Night Raw. We're going to crush your head between two chairs. Hope you're ready for this. And I mean every bit of it, I believed. And listen to the audience. All you have to do is listen to the audience. The same audience that had been cheering Randy Orton for the last two months. Every one of them was booing him. You know how difficult it is in 2020 to, uh, to, to introduce a story to an audience 
And as soon as the first chapter is closed, you're cheering for the right person and you're booing the right person. You know how difficult that is? As a writer, as a performer, it seldom happens anymore because everybody is so smart. Everybody is so smart and so knows exactly what's going on that even when it's the exact story that they want, they still want to show their appreciation for the bad guy and just cheer him. Or if, it, or, or if there's one misstep that makes it not quite believable or one flaw in the storytelling that makes it not quite right, so ready to boo the part where you're supposed to be cheering. But it didn't happen, man. Edge is not performing like a man who's been gone for nine years. And Randy Orton is not performing like a man who's putting a bow on his career. Edge and Randy Orton are performing like they stepped out of 2009 and just fast-forwarded to 2020. And we haven't seen the match. Who knows what will happen? But it's amazing. It's been amazing to see their performance in the Royal Rumble leading to their performance on Raw. Many times, Raw is a three-hour show. It is a very long show. Many times after Monday Night Raw, I go to bed and I have a, a, a feeling in the pit of my stomach. I don't like when wrestling doesn't live up to my standards. I Professional wrestling is the first passion in my life, first love in my life. A thing, it's aside from my parents and aside from my siblings, professional wrestling is the thing that I've cared about in my life longer, longer than literally anything else. Because there's nothing in the entertainment world on this planet that is better than good pro wrestling. And that's why when I get through a three-hour episode of Monday Night Raw, and at the end of it, I'm feeling either meh or bleh, I have a pit in my stomach. I don't sleep well. I sit there going, come on, guys. Really? There's so many reactions you can have. Meh and bleh. But at the same time, and this is how I know, I'm the exact same fan that I've always been. When I get a finish, like we got on Monday Night Raw this week, and that's that's what I see when I turn off my TV at 11 p.m. and some overrun, 11.07 maybe, I'm jazzed, man. I feel the energy. I'm sitting there going, oh my God, we've got a story. Coming off of Monday Night Raw, I knew, just like many years in the past, starting with the Royal Rumble and heading into WrestleMania, this is going to be a fun ride. And what really drove that home was that Edge versus Randy Orton segment. I badly want to see Edge versus Randy Orton. And when Edge came back at the Royal Rumble, I said, I don't really want to see Edge versus Randy Orton. To myself, I said that. I said, I like Randy Orton. I like Edge. I've seen Edge versus Randy Orton. You know what I haven't seen? Edge versus Seth Rollins. Edge Edge versus Roman Reigns. Edge versus Kevin Owens. Edge versus Samoa Joe. Edge versus Baron Corbin. Edge versus Daniel Bryan. There are a lot. Edge versus The Fiend. Edge versus Brock Lesnar. 
There's lots of edge matches that I haven't seen that the last nine years have made a compelling case for. However, the segment on Raw where Randy Orton crushed Edge's face was so good that it made me realize that none of those compelling cases can hold a candle to the case of what about Edge versus Randy Orton? Edge versus Randy Orton has become the match that I want to see. And I have full faith that between now and WrestleMania, the desire amongst me and all the other WWE fans is only going to get raised and raised and raised and raised. And that's because of the faith that Randy Orton and Edge both gave to me on Monday Night Raw. Now, of course, you know, we don't know. And thank you for allowing me my, uh, however long that was, 20 minutes to appreciate Randy Orton. But we don't know. We don't know, Sway. We don't know for sure that that match is happening at WrestleMania. You know, keep in mind, Super Showdown is happening at the end of February, I believe. And one would have to believe that Edge is going to have a match at Super Showdown. You could make a strong argument that Edge should not have a match before WrestleMania. You could make a very strong argument that what's going to make the Randy Orton-Edge match special is it's Edge's first singles match back in the WWE. And, you know, depending on what you read on the internet, first they said Edge has signed on to do this many matches and this many TV appearances, but... Depending on money, now they're saying that could be wrong. It could be this. It could be that. Nobody knows. Come on. Nobody knows. They just heard this. Maybe this. Maybe that. Nobody knows what Edge's schedule actually looks like. And maybe it's a little up in the air. But if he does have a match at Super Showdown, I would hope that between now and then, Randy Orton makes a friend with somebody, and that's the person that Edge faces. I do not want to see Randy. I want to see Randy Orton versus Edge at WrestleMania. My preference is to see Edge's first match back versus Randy Orton. I think I think the way you do this beautifully is you have Edge versus Randy Orton at WrestleMania, Edge's first match back in WWE. And, you know, over the next couple weeks, play it up like we don't know if we're going to see Edge back. That that already fragile neck of Edge, of Edge's, was horribly brutalized by one Randy Orton. We don't know if we're going to see him back. But eventually we'll get there and eventually he will be back. I mean, maybe you even have Randy Orton have a match at Super Showdown and have Edge interfere. You know, have Edge go all the way to Saudi Arabia just to do the run-in and spear Randy Orton. And that's the first time you've seen him since the Royal Rumble. You might have something there. And then spend the month between February 27th and WrestleMania uh, 36. That's the month that you spend building Randy Orton versus Edge. Probably the way I would do it. To get the most bang for your buck out of everything. Um, 
I would then have Edge's second match be the Monday Night Raw after WrestleMania. I would have Edge wrestle at WrestleMania and then have him wrestle again the Monday after WrestleMania. And that's not to say, hey, world, Edge is going to be wrestling on Raw every single week, but it lets the world know that Edge is back in WWE. He's not just here for WrestleMania season. And it really drives home, hey, guys, this is the Raw after WrestleMania. This is it. You know, because... I don't know what the tradition is going to be for SmackDown coming off of WrestleMania. Now that SmackDown is back to Fridays, I can't see the SmackDown after WrestleMania being that big of a deal. It seems like, because, you know, the way you're looking at it is, WrestleMania weekend, oh, I wonder if they're going to turn WrestleMania into a two-day show. It's a five-day show. You're looking at WrestleMania in Tampa as SmackDown, no, as Hall of Fame, SmackDown, TakeOver, WrestleMania, Raw. So I would think that the SmackDown before WrestleMania is going to become the big SmackDown of the year. And the Raw after WrestleMania is, is going to maintain and, and continue to be the big Raw of the year. I would think. That makes sense to me. Um, But that would be where I would put Edge's second match. I would have Edge have a singles match or maybe even a tag match because it's Raw on the Raw after WrestleMania, and then go from there. You know, if, if if Edge's dates are limited, keep him off TV for a while and bring him back April, May, you know, bring him back for Money in the Bank. It, that would really be interesting. If you had Edge wrestle at WrestleMania against Randy Orton, wrestle the Monday after WrestleMania, and then come back to announce he's going to be in the Money in the Bank ladder match, the guy who made the Money in the Bank briefcase famous, Edge, to me still, the most famous Money in the Bank briefcase holder of all time. I would put, I would say Edge, then Seth Rollins, then Braun Strowman. I'm just kidding. Edge, Seth Rollins, then maybe CM Punk, maybe RVD after that. That's where you can start, you know, and maybe we will have that conversation closer to Money in the Bank. But I think that would be, that would be the move to make. But needless to say, I thought, I thought you had two barn burner segments this week so far, and we haven't even gotten to SmackDown. You had, if you're not excited about what's going on in WWE right now, check your pulse because you're probably passed away. You had that segment ending Raw. On a, on a Raw that was a good Raw, by the way. Lots of stuff happening on Raw. Is it MVP coming back? Having He's announced, by the way, he went on Twitter, and he announced that that was his last WWE match. You had a new broadcast team on Raw. There are rumors that MVP is trying to uh, get into a backstage role, which I think he'd be great at. You know, I love seeing the generation. Uh, I don't even say at this point, it's not even the generation that we grew up with. That my, It's not my generation that I grew up with. It's like, it's the generation just after it. You know, it's that, it's the guys that were wrestling in the early 2000s that are now coming around and, and becoming agents and producers and stuff like that. And I think, I think MVP would be great for that job. Um, but it was great to see him at the Royal Rumble. It was even cooler to see him have a one-on-one -on -one match with Rey Mysterio on Raw uh, and let his WWE career end there. Um, Drew McIntyre's segment was cool. Loved the tension between him and Brock. Loved that they've already announced it's coming for WrestleMania and they're building it all the way there. Charlotte coming out, not announcing her opponent, going full heel. So funny. I was talking to my uh, trainer at the gym who uh, has been watching wrestling since May. 
So I find her to be great uh, gauge on things. And I'm like, you know, just to keep your eyes open, because sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll tell her things from my, my point of wisdom, you know, the years of experience watching wrestling that's left me quite the expert. And I said, you know, Charlotte is going to pick her opponent after she won the Royal Rumble. You know who I think she's going to pick? Rhea Ripley? Yeah, that's, and she was like, yeah, that's what I figured. So, <laughs> so that is out there in the ether. I think that that's the right move to make. I love the idea of Charlotte going for the NXT championship. I love it for Charlotte. I love it for NXT. I love it for all parties involved. Then you're left with three huge matches, Charlotte versus Rhea Ripley. Because Bianca Belair, I mean, amazing appearance in the Royal Rumble. She's right there. She's a million times better. She only improves and improves and improves. She ain't beating Rhea Ripley in Portland. So Rhea Ripley versus Charlotte. I would still do a Sasha Banks versus Bailey match. And then Becky Lynch. I don't know. Maybe get Ronda Rousey back. Probably Shayna Baszler, though, more realistically. Becky Lynch versus Shayna Baszler. If those are your three, if you have all three of those women's matches at that show, you got three main event caliber women's matches at WrestleMania. That's a big deal. Um, so, yeah. So, you had that. You had an excellent episode of Raw with a great closing segment. Then, take your day of Tuesday to rest. <gasps> take a breath. You came on amazing Royal Rumble. Good Raw. Take a breath. Turn on NXT on Wednesday night. And the segment between Adam Cole and Tommaso Ciampa was just one for the ages. I mean, you just watch that. And the segment by itself, I texted my producer Hot Dog immediately. I said, Hot Dog, if you're not watching NXT right now, make sure you watch this segment. It was so good. And this is what NXT needs a lot more of. NXT needs a lot more of these juicy, story-driven segments. The idea of Ciampa coming out with a lead pipe, laying out the entire Undisputed Era. Regal is disgusted. I love that Regal is the only general manager in history that's been able to maintain not being a heel or a babyface. William Regal is the only GM in history since Jack Tunney that's been able to simply be on the side of law and order. And Jack Tunney, I know you just said the only GM in history since Jack Tunney. Jack Tunney wasn't the GM. He was the president. Since the GM has been a thing, there has not been an authority figure called a GM in history that's been on the side of law and order the way William Regal is. Not a babyface, not a heel. He's coming out there. He's pissed that Ciampa just laid out his tag team champions and Roderick Strong when he didn't have to. And I love that they're not making Adam Cole this chicken heel. That Adam Cole went to William Regal and said, I don't care who I'm facing. Because I don't know if anybody told you, but in the last year, I've become a superstar. And I can beat anybody on the NXT roster. Ciampa didn't have to do that. And then to have Ciampa uh, uh, put Adam Cole through the table, even though Adam Cole's the one that took a cheap shot at him. And the instinct of that Tommaso Ciampa. Obviously, he didn't know he was going to bleed. He didn't bleed on purpose. But the crowd is chanting, you're bleeding, or whatever they were chanting, something in reference to blood. And you know it was instant because he already signed it with his pen. 
And then he goes, oh yeah. And he wipes the blood off that head and he swipes it down on the contract. I was like, this is just brilliant. This is just brilliant. And it's a risky position to be in. Here's the thing. When you have multiple people, I mean, realistically, at least five people that you could make the case should have a championship match with Adam Cole at TakeOver. You know, I mean, they're being placed in other matches, but you still got a main event roster in NXT where you, where you got people waiting. You know, you got, you're sitting there. I know you gave Keith Lee the North American championship, but he's clearly the biggest good guy in the company. I mean, he is Adam Cole and Keith Lee are your two standouts in NXT right now. And it's really interesting that instead of making them combatants, they made them your two champions. I like that. I think it's pretty smart. Um, But you see... This go down between Ciampa and Adam Cole. And after this segment, it's just like the Randy Orton and Edge segment. Nobody is sitting there going, oh, man, I wish it had been Keith Lee. Ah, I know he's fighting Gargano, but I wish Finn Balor was getting the title shot. Ah, I wish Velveteen Dream was coming back. Ah, man, I was hoping that Riddle would lose in the Dusty Classic so that he could get a shot at Adam Cole. No. You're going, that's the match I want to see because of that segment. And I think NXT, NXT has wrestling down on lock. NXT has the best wrestling matches in the world, anywhere in the world, not just in America. They don't have enough good stories though. They need more story heavy segments the way that contract signing was. And I believe if you did that, you'd have more eyes on the show. You'd have more people feeling, the thing about a wrestling match a really good wrestling match is while it's cool to see live, there's not as much immediacy to it as a storyline. Look, if you tell me there's a really great match going on between uh, Matt Riddle and Pete Dunne and the Grizzled Young Veterans, then I'll go, okay, cool. I'll remember that and I'll watch the match later. You can watch a great match later. Because it's not necessarily even about who wins and loses. But look at the Lana Rusev story. The the wedding. The wedding segment. That everybody said is garbage. People were literally turning it on. I turned it on. Because I saw on Twitter that it was happening. And it's so ridiculous. I got to see it. I'm not advocating that you have segments like the Rusev-Lana wedding happening in NXT. I think that NXT needs to be taken a little bit more seriously. But. I do think that if I find out there's an amazing segment going on between Ciampa and Adam Cole right now, or there's an amazing match going on between them right now, I'm more likely to watch the match later than I am to watch the story-driven segment later. And the story-driven segment is only going to make it so that the match feels like a bigger deal when it finally happens. That's why I think it's important that NXT tell those stories. But look at what you've got lined up. We got two weeks from Sunday is NXT TakeOver Portland. Adam Cole versus Tommaso Ciampa is your NXT championship match. Rhea Ripley versus Bianca Belair is your NXT championship match. And they've done such a good job. 
much better than last January when I said it was a waste of a match to put Bianca Belair in the championship uh, scene with Shayna Baszler. At making Bianca Belair a threat and a credible threat. Having her do what she did in the Royal Rumble. Having her dominate week after week on NXT television. Now, all of a sudden, this is a must-see match. Your tag team championship match. The Undisputed Era versus the Broserweights. And I mean, I think Matt Riddle has been struggling to find his niche on NXT television. He's real good at drumming up a ton of buzz on social media. But here's the thing with Matt Riddle. He's so good at making people want to see a match with Goldberg and Matt Riddle, a match with Brock Lesnar and Matt Riddle. If he could take that energy and put it towards people that are actually in NXT, that we could put that match on a takeover within a month or two, you might really be onto something. Imagine if Matt Riddle could put that kind of energy into making us want to see him versus Keith Lee and thinking it was real, into making us want to see him versus... Roddy Strong, and thinking that it was real. That's what Matt Riddle should be doing with his social media. He should be going after guys in NXT that are not even in a storyline with him and having a storyline start there where you go, oh, man, I think there's real heat between these guys. You know? I think when Ciampa took that shot at Riddle on Twitter, let's keep going with it. Because that's a match we can actually see. Ciampa versus Riddle. That was a few months back. It was in October, I think. But I do think that he's struck gold in this tag team partnership with Pete Dunne. I think think that the combination of the two of them with Pete Dunne playing the straight man, I think we're finally getting some references to... uh, uh, you know, uh, joint manipulation and people being blunt and all this stuff. You're kind of uh, bringing some of that personality from the independence back into Matt Riddle that everybody is super aware of, you know, especially in NXT where you're kind of targeting an older audience, maybe an older demographic, maybe. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I think the partnership with Pete Dunne is probably the best thing that Matt Riddle has done in NXT. I don't know if it's undisputed era level, but I think it's the best done. He's the best thing he's done. D U N N E in NXT, and I think it's a good look for Pete Dunne too. You know, Pete Dunne, uh, while he hasn't had anything even close to a strikeout in NXT, he's got to figure out where he fits on the NXT main roster. And I think that the this this tag team is good for both guys. And then let's not forget, you've also got a singles match, a grudge match. I love on these takeovers, when there is a singles match, again, I'm going back to the stories, but with a story behind it. I love a good grudge match, and you don't see them that often on takeovers when it's not uh, a title on the line. Because what do you have? Takeovers generally, what, five matches maybe? And you're trying to fit as much talent in as possible? To have a one-on-one match with no title on the line, you really got to have something there. And I think Finn Balor versus Johnny Gargano is going to be big. I love that Finn Balor doesn't wrestle on NXT TV every week. That it's an event when he wrestles. It's a specialty when he wrestles. He's a big star and he feels like a big star. And, you know, the fact that that he injured Gargano, I think it's only going to play into the story 
you know, I don't know if he actually, actually, actually injured him. I know Gargano got injured, but that's only going to play into this whole story uh, and and lead into that match. But those four matches being announced for TakeOver Portland, I mean, that TakeOver is going to smack. That is going to be an amazing show already. I would imagine they'll add at least one more match to it. Keith Lee has got to be on that show defending the North American Championship. Um, you know, I love Roderick Strong. I would probably leave him off because, you know, I think that you really want to put all that undisputed energy into the Cole Ciampa match. I know you've got the undisputed guys in the Broserweight match with the, ta- for the with the tag titles on the line. But, you know, really, I think, I, I think Roderick Strong's influence needs to be felt in that championship match between Cole and Ciampa. So, you know, with two weeks left to build up to a North American championship match, I guess, you know, you look at Dominic Dijakovic, who beat Damian Priest, known in some circles as Damian Archer, on NXT this week, and I guess you start going, okay, we're going to do a Dominic Dijakovic, Keith Lee takeover match. And, you know, their matches are good. Their matches were excellent on NXT TV. But I really, I really think the world of, of Damian Priest, and I would love to see Damian Priest versus Keith Lee. Maybe they're going to save that. Maybe we'll do it down the line. I think there's a lot of upside to this, uh, this Damian Priest character. I don't know if he needs to be shooting imaginary bows and arrows at the wall and whatnot. I think we could probably drop that uh, sooner than later. But I think the world of him, and I I, I would love to see him getting the opportunity of that North American Championship uh, at TakeOver. So, But I, I'm very, very excited looking towards uh, NXT TakeOver Portland. I think it's going to be really, really, really good. Um. Also, as we look towards SmackDown, I have to believe Naomi's return at the Royal Rumble made a a bigger splash than even I thought it would. I I, I thought it was, it, it seemed to penetrate outside of the world of wrestling, which I knew that wrestling fans would be super excited to see Naomi back. I did not realize that it would make as big a deal outside of wrestling as it did. I have to imagine that Naomi is coming back to SmackDown this week and that she's going to be a pretty major player on SmackDown going forward. When I say I have to imagine that, it's because I hope so. Because, you know, I thought her Royal Rumble return made a huge splash, and uh, and I think that that's the spot for her, showing up on SmackDown and doing the thing. Also, there's a big story this week, like... Uh, you know, the WWE put out a, uh, a version of the Fiends Universal Championship and charged $7,000 for it or something like that. Um, and they have put out the Fiends Universal Championship and it now costs like 400 bucks. And people are like, imagine everybody that paid $7,000. Stupid. It's a different product. They didn't take the same thing and mark it down to $400. Do you think that they made a product that you could feasibly sell for $400 and said, what if we could make $6,500 profit on each one? No, of course they didn't do that. 
the $5,000 or $7,000 version or whatever it was, that was actually being designed in Tom Savini's studios, not as a replica of the title design by Tom Savini. This was being, this was, I mean, it was basically you were getting a version of the title that The Fiend uses on television. The $400 one is the replica title. If you take a replica championship from WWE Shop, it's amazing. If you hold it next to an actual title that is held by a superstar on television, there is no mystery as to which is the replica and which is the authentic version whatsoever. There is no mystery as to which title was uh, would cost thousands of dollars and which title cost 400. It is apparent immediately upon eyesight. You don't need a, a like a diamond loot or whatever those little uh, uh, magnifying glasses that they put up to one eye are called. You don't need anything. It's very, very clear. The Fiend title that now costs about $400 is the replica version of the title that The Fiend has. I am not advocating for a four to $7,000 purchase of a Fiend Universal Championship. But if you think that it's the exact same product now marked down 150,000%, I got a bridge to sell you. You're a fool is what I'm trying to say. An absolute fool. All right, I think we got a couple emails. I do want to make a, a, a note here. Uh, going forward... I believe, my, my, I, I'm just going by gut here. Thursday, not Sam Thursday, is not going to be a weekly tradition anymore. Well, it will be a weekly tradition for some people. Thursday, not Sam Thursday, will continue every week uh, exclusively on Patreon. If you want to hear this additional podcast every single week, sign up to patreon.com slash notsamwrestling and become a shell today. There will be a show recorded every Thursday. But most of the time, it will be Patreon exclusive. For instance, today's show would have been Patreon exclusive. If there is something super late breaking that that needs to be addressed and, and requires a show that everybody can hear, there will be Thursday, not Sam Thursday shows, you know, once a month, once every two months that come out on this public feed. However, every other Thursday, not Sam Thursday show will be exclusive to Patreon. It is less than a dollar a week to sign up. You will get all the Thursday Not Sam Thursday shows, regardless of what tier you sign up for. If you become a money mark at four bucks a month, you get every Thursday Not Sam Thursday show. If you go up to Indie Darling, you can get the live feed video of it. You know, there's, there's all kinds of different benefits to becoming a Not Sam shill. But for less than a dollar a week, you'll be able to get every Thursday Not Sam Thursday show going forward. And full access to our Discord room that is open 24 hours a day with people chatting in that Discord room all the time, all right? So if you want this to continue for you every week, go to patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. Of course, every Monday, we will still have a brand new show. Uh, some of those shows will be interview shows. Some of those shows will be solo shows like this week, uh, but they will all be wonderful, fantastic content that you will be able to enjoy. Let me go to some uh, a couple of emails uh, that we have. Uh, Jonathan on Patreon, not Sam Show. He says, Sam, I'm like you. I have to go to work super early each day, 4.15 a.m., six days a week with Sunday being my off day, so usually I have to wait until Monday sometime to watch the pay-per-view. How do you feel if WWE ever switched the, their pay-per-view to Saturday nights? I know NXT does it then, but I just wanted your reaction. You know, um, 
I think that there's too much tradition built up in these Sunday night pay-per-views. I also think that traditionally Sunday night is a better night for TV. I think with the WWE Network, it doesn't matter as much. I think that the Sunday tradition was more built because they did a lot of experimentation and, and probably found that you could get more pay-per-view buys on a Sunday than you would on a Saturday. I think that since then, the UFC has proven that theory r wrong and, and a lot of boxing fights as well. Um, you know, I think it, it would be great to have WWE on a Saturday night. I also, you know, I get up early. If I, if, if, if I'm not working on the pay-per-view and it was on on a Saturday night, I would come on here and do a post show and everything. I think it'd be super fun. I don't see it happening just because tradition is tradition and they happen on Sundays because they happen on Sundays at this point. But I always love takeovers. Always love takeovers on a Saturday. Thank you all for being a part of this week's Not Sam Wrestling Show. We will see you on Monday for a brand new episode. Hope you all do well. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been... Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam Wrestling.